This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. For more audiobooks and other content, please visit reconstructionistradio.com. Book title: Church Shift. Author: Sunday Adelijah. Published by Charisma House. Copyright: 2008. Narrated by Jason Garwood. Chapter 6: Thriving in Persecution. Once we shift, it is not always pleasant business. Often it involves suffering persecution, but that persecution is never without purpose. The scholarship I received for a university education sent me to the Soviet Union. This was not my first choice. I wanted to go to the United States or Great Britain. I had heard much about the States as a superpower and the United Kingdom as another great modern place, and I wanted to see those worlds for myself. But the application board sent me to Russia. That country wanted to train people in developing countries like Nigeria so they would return to their countries and lead communist revolutions. I was a little wary of going there, but I sensed God had a purpose in it. Before I went to Russia, a pastor in Nigeria told me, It will be difficult, but if you survive it, you'll make it anywhere. I left Nigeria in 1986 not realizing that I was about to get two educations. One at the Russian University, the other in the School of Persecution. There I learned that a key to ruling my promised land is to enjoy the School of Persecution. If you're not enrolled yet, you will be. I've been enrolled for years, and I doubt that I'll ever graduate. But guess what? I'm glad for persecution. Persecution has kingdom purposes. I'll explain why. God speaks to you in times of persecution. When I got to Russia, I quickly became frustrated and disappointed. I was expecting Russia to be an economic superpower like America, not just a military superpower. I was shocked at the low standard of living and the poor economy. Worst of all, there was no church on Sundays. There was, in effect, no Sunday, just a weekend. There was no place to learn about God. As a new Christian, I felt cut off from the teaching I needed. I cried and prayed, God, why did you allow me to come to this place? I tried to assemble the Nigerian students for prayer, but within weeks I was sent to Belarus to attend university there. I met a group of four African people who were involved in the underground church. To them, I expressed my frustration over being in the Soviet Union, and one of them challenged me, Why are you so frustrated? Why are you complaining? Ask God why he allowed you to come here. He must have a purpose. I had sensed that before, so I began to pray every day when I woke up and when I went to bed. I did that for two weeks. Then something supernatural happened to me that remains unique in all my experiences. I went to bed one night, and while I slept, Jesus came to me and showed me my future. I saw myself preaching to a huge audience of white people. I was seeing miracles and signs and wonders happen. The next night, the same thing happened, and again on the third night. I saw everything so clearly. I remember the clothes I wore. I was on stage with famous preachers. Then Jesus came, took the microphone from one of them, and gave it to me. The preacher stepped back, and I came forward. Jesus stood beside me. Miracles began to happen. I was calling out sicknesses. People were getting out of wheelchairs. People were coming to testify. When I woke up after the third night, I was shocked. 
My three roommates were asleep, but I was so full from the realness of the experience that I could hardly believe they had slept through it. I felt a strong urge to open the Bible, and it seemed to open itself to Isaiah chapter 61. The very first verse reads, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. I read it over and over, and each time it was like hearing thousands of voices in my ears, veins, and cells, as if the whole room was full of voices shouting, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. It was like a tide of water filling me. Again, I wondered why nobody else was waking up. Tears streamed from my eyes. I had never preached before and was only a young convert six months in the Lord. With those thoughts in my mind, I again opened the Bible and it fell to Jeremiah 1. Quote, Do not say, I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. End quote. Jeremiah chapter 1, 7 through 10. I closed the Bible to pray again, then felt like opening it again to Habakkuk 2. Quote, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and whatever answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. End quote. Habakkuk 2, 1-3 in obedience, I took my pen and wrote down my whole experience. When it was over, I was mesmerized and perplexed. I had to talk to someone, but I had to wait until after classes ended. Later that day, I caught up with my friend in the underground church to tell him what had happened to me. He brought down a notebook from his shelf and said that at 2 a.m., God had awakened him to write down this message for a member of the fellowship. It was a confirmation of my dreams. From that point on, God's visions went silent. I never had that kind of encounter again in my life. I studied in the Soviet Union for six years. During that time, the Christians I knew went through many trials. Some were sent to psychiatric wards, others were dismissed from the university, and some were deported. Those of us who remained worshipped together in silence. While I was in my room with my roommate, I would pretend to sleep so I could pray under my blanket. I had morning devotions in the bathroom. I often was convinced I too would be found out and deported. One time in my first year there, my fellow students heard about my religious interest and warned me to hide my Bible in the bottom of my suitcase and not take it out until I got back to Nigeria six years later. God does not exist here, they said, but I didn't hide it. I had even put a picture of Jesus over my bed. One evening after classes, I heard banging on my door. I opened it and saw four men and a woman, our dean, my roommate, a KGB officer, and a Communist Party official. They pointed to the portrait of Jesus and said, What is this? I said, This isn't a what, it's a who. Remove it or you'll be punished, they said. Religious propaganda is punishable by law. 
you could go to prison under Article 35. I understood then that my roommate had been writing a secret dossier to me. I had been betrayed. I was frustrated and angry, but I heard God say in that moment, This is only a picture. Remove it from the wall, but don't allow them to remove him from your heart. So I removed it from the wall, but I continued to grow in the knowledge of Christ during my time in Belarus. God trained me during the persecution. He taught me to rely on him. He taught me to be wise in how I conducted myself. He gave me a vision of my future that has guided me ever since. I believe he will do the same for you in times of persecution. In persecution, you learn new skills. Some people want to be released from hardship before they have acquired the skills God wants them to have. In my case, God knew he wanted me to minister in Ukraine, so I needed to learn the Russian language and culture. If I hadn't come to Russia and stuck it out through the tough times, I never would have learned Russian and would not have fulfilled the destiny God had for me in Ukraine. Even though I was hiding out as a Christian and occasionally suffering hardship because of it, I used the time to gain new skills and knowledge. When I came to Russia, I didn't know a word of the language. We were immersed in it for nine months and then started studying together with students who spoke it fluently. I had to take notes, listen to lectures, read, and do my homework in Russian. It was difficult, but I believed that God would help me to achieve it if I put in the necessary study. I used to spend six hours a day in the library after lectures. Other students, even the Christians, fell away from their studies and from their faith because of worldly temptations. But I buried myself in books and learning. I exercised myself in godliness and became one of the best students. I graduated from the university with honors. Only a few other students obtained that distinction, and some of them had to do the exams again. I was the only one who graduated with honors without having to retake any tests. The skills and language I learned during those years laid the foundation for what God asked me to do in Ukraine shortly thereafter. Kingdom nature gets in you. Persecution also reveals your character. It contrasts your selfish nature with the kingdom nature God wants to work into you. It then gives you opportunities to grow the character of Christ inside of you. When I arrived in Moscow during the heart of the Cold War in the 1980s, Russians hadn't seen many black people. I and the other Africans in our group of students were harassed. They called me chocolate and monkey. A Russian asked me once, When you arrived in Moscow, did they cut your tail off and give you clothes? Some Africans got annoyed at insults like this and wanted to fight people. But for some reason, I never got annoyed. When people stared at me or called me monkey, I was happy that I was giving someone joy. How are we supposed to respond to persecution? What should our reaction be? Our first reaction should always be joy and thanksgiving. Quote, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. End quote. Matthew 5, 11-12 we need to thank him for the tests because they lift us to a much higher level in God, bringing us closer to him. Hardships give us strength and confidence. The Bible says, quote, Rejoice always in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. End quote. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 and 18. 
Persecution may be the fastest way to become kingdom-minded. It's like a pressure cooker that pushes out the old nature. Our second reaction is well shown in the Bible. Quote, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. End quote. Matthew 5, 44. Every time we are persecuted, we need to respond with God's love. Persecution gives us the perfect platform to overcome evil with good. In every bad situation, we learn to see Satan's motives behind a person's actions. The person has nothing to do with it. The devil is the initiator of persecution. That's why the Bible says, quote, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, end quote. Ephesians 6.12 Persecution is God's invitation to have a right response. We need not be irritated or angry with people. We need to love our enemies, to bless them, and to pray for them. Our third reaction is prayer for those who harm us. This connects us with God in the most powerful way possible. Jesus said, quote, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. End quote. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. I am sure you have had ungrateful and wicked authorities in your life. Your job is to show them God's love and stand in the gap for them. Our church prays for the leaders of our country all the time, and in times of difficulty, our prayers for them intensify. Our fourth reaction is freedom from fear. Men cannot make us afraid. Quote, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. End quote. Proverbs 29, 25. We are free people. Galatians 5.13 says that we have been called to freedom. We are free because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Fear has no part in being free. Rather, it is a snare that prevents us from moving forward. Fear makes us an easy bait for the devil. By accepting fear in our life, we automatically allow it to rule over us. But fear is not one of God's qualities. It doesn't belong to us at all. Let's send it back to its owner. Quote, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. End quote. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 Finally, we need to be faithful and let God judge our persecutor. If people don't receive you or the gospel, shake the dust off your shoes and hand them over to God. It's okay to withdraw once you've been faithful. For example, there are churches in Russia that I oversee, but the Russian government revoked my visa, so I can't travel there anymore. Rather than warring with Russia in the flesh, I simply withdraw for now. I have been faithful to my calling there. I was willing to go, and I tried to go, but they stopped me. My job is to keep on loving them and blessing them, but to hand them over to God. A time will come when I believe God will open the border again, and I will travel there freely. Until then, I hand them over to him. Fear of persecution has limited the church and hence the power of God to the four walls of our sanctuaries. 
We enjoy the comfort of it so much we forget that Jesus left the comfort of heaven and sacrificed everything to bring his kingdom to us on earth. Today, he is asking us to go to the world and endure all the world can throw at us. The earth will become ours if we will only act as Jesus did in Philippians 2, 7-9. Quote, He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. End quote. Persecution is part of the Christian lifestyle. Expect it and rejoice in it as you grow into the stature of a mighty man or woman of God. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 6 Number 1. A key to ruling your promised land is to enjoy the school of persecution. Number 2. Some people want to be released from hardship before they have acquired the skills God wants them to have. Number 3. Persecution reveals your character. It contrasts your selfish nature with the kingdom nature God wants to work in you. Number 4. Persecution gives us the perfect platform to overcome evil with good. Number 5. Persecution is God's invitation to have a right response. Number 6. Be faithful and let God judge your persecutor. It's okay to withdraw once you've been faithful. Number 7. Fear of persecution has limited the church and hence the power of God to the four walls of our sanctuaries.